Amen. Thank you for that special there. What a wonderful blessing that is. If you're thankful for Calvary, say amen. amen. All right. We're thankful for Calvary here this morning. and thank God for the salvation that we know in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning. Let's stand together. And uh, I am going to preach on Paul and Silas again. <laughs> but it's not from Acts chapter number 16. But we're going to go to the very next chapter. And uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter number 17 here this morning. Acts chapter number 17. And uh, once again, we like to look at the character of Paul and Silas, specifically the character of Paul here this morning. And uh, I'd like to bring to you a message entitled, Changing the World. Changing the World with the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ from Acts chapter number 17. We'll look at verse number one down to verse number nine, and then we'll pray, uh, and then we'll jump right into the sermon here this morning. The Bible reads in verse number one, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ." And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful morning that you've given us, and thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for that wonderful special that we just heard and help us to never forget, uh, Lord, that day when we came to you as a lost sinner and by thy grace and through faith, we were born again. We were made a child of God and everything changed on that day. And Father, I pray this morning as we think about the mission of this college, as we think about the calling that you've placed upon our lives, Lord, I pray that we too would take this gospel message that we have received and I pray, Lord, that we would take it out to a world that is lost, that is living in darkness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, I pray, Lord, that we would turn this world upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, challenge us, strengthen us here this morning to make a difference and an impact in our generation for our Savior here today, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As Christians here this morning, I find in the Bible that God has not called us to blend in, and God has not called us to conform to this world, but rather He has called us to stand out, and God has called us to make a difference for the cause of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, the Bible is very clear that Christians are distinct and that we are different from the world. The Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that he may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that he should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible also teaches us in Philippians chapter number 2 that God has called us to be the lights. Uh, God has called us to be the salt, that we might be the retardant when it comes to the defiling and the sinfulness of our generation, but that at the same time, he's called us to be lights, that we would shine forth the glorious gospel and the hope that is found in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse number 15, the Bible reads there that he may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom he shine as lights in the world, holy holding forth the word of life. And so the Bible teaches us here this morning that God has saved us and he has called us out of the darkness that we might shine as lights for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and by the grace of God bestowed upon our lives, that we might make a difference and that we might change our world with the gospel and we might turn it upside down for the glory of our God. I think about the testimony of a man by the name of John Getty, who was a Scottish missionary back in the 1800s. And in the 1840s, he went to the New Hebrides Islands, specifically to the island of Anitium. And it was an island that was filled with cannibalism. Uh, it was an island that was filled with barbaric rituals. And during this time, his family faced the difficulty of learning a language that had no written form. And on top of that, they faced the difficulty of constant threat of being killed by the natives that lived on that island. Eventually, over time and over a season of diligence and constantly loving the people and constantly trying to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A few converts came and they trusted Jesus as their personal savior and then more time passed and sooner or later more people came and scores of people came to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior and by the grace of God, John Getty changed that island with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at his death, there was a plaque that was prepared in honor and in remembrance of him. And it read these words, when he, John Getty, landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. And this morning, that is what God has called each and every one of us to do, that we would shine as lights in a dark world, that we would be the salt in a deviled generation, and that we would make an impact and a difference for the cause of Christ, wherever it might be. Uh, here today, this morning, in the city of Lancaster, here today in your workplaces, later on as you graduate in your respective place of ministry, God has called each and every single one of us that we would not simply blend in and go with the flow and simply be satisfied in the status quo, but he wants us to go to a city and he wants us to go to a county and he wants us to go to a country and to shake that place upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that power here this morning is not found in you and it's not found in me, but it's found in the Holy Spirit of God and it's found in the gospel message concerning his death and his burial and his resurrection. And as I think about the Apostle Paul here this morning, that was his testimony. When you read about his missionary journeys, he turned every single city upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 17, Paul and Silas begin their ministry in the city of Thessalonica. Just a few chapters before they began the second 
missionary journey, he first passed through the regions of Cilicia and then also through the regions of Galatia. And then he wanted to go towards Asia and Bithynia. But the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit suffered him not to go in that direction. And we find here for the first time, God leads the Apostle Paul into the continent of Europe to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to start churches for the Lord. The first city they enter into is the city of Philippi. We learned about that last night and the persecution and the suffering that he faced within that city. And then as we come to Acts chapter number 17, we find them coming into the city of Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica is known as the heart of Macedonia. Uh, Thessalonica was the capital city of this Roman province of Macedonia, and therefore it was the most important city being a commercial and political center for the Roman Empire within that region. And it was in this city that Paul and Silas and his team, they are accused of turning the world upside down. We find that here in the middle of our passage in Acts 17, verse number 6. And the Bible reads there, And when they found them, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And this was an accusation against Paul and his team, but at the same time, it was a great compliment that Paul and his team, by the power of God, had influenced and impacted their generation with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they had changed their world, uh, that in every city that they entered into throughout Asia Minor, and every city that they entered into, into the region of Macedonia, and every city that they'll enter into, into the region of Achaia, everywhere they went, they made a footprint for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was a man that changed his world and his generation for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have a simple question for you here this morning as we think about this truth. Do you have a desire to change your world? Do you have a burning passion within your heart? As you think about that city that God has called you to, as you think about that ministry position that you've been placed in, as you uh, think about here the city of Lancaster and Palmdale and the Antelope Valley, as you think about maybe a country that God is sending you to as a missionary, is there a burning desire, is there a yearning in your heart that by the grace of God he would use you to change that place upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ? As we look at the Apostle Paul here in chapter 17, I want you to notice with me, I find here three world-changing characteristics concerning the Apostle Paul here in the city of Thessalonica. First of all, I want you to notice with me, starting in verse number one, I find here that Paul was courageous. Paul was courageous. It says in verse number one, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. The Bible teaches us that he entered into the city of Thessalonica, and as his manner was, he entered into the synagogue here to begin preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to keep in mind as we think about the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, it's only been a short while since he had left the city of Philippi. 
uh, no doubt he would have still been in a lot of pain from the sufferings and from the beatings and from the mistreatment that he faced in the city of Philippi. However, he travels now through Amphipolis and then also Apollonia, and now he arrives in the city of Thessalonica. And the Bible teaches that he didn't take time to rest and he didn't change his methods and he didn't compromise how he wanted to reach that city with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather he courageously does exactly what he did in all of the previous cities. He finds the synagogue and he finds the place where the people are and he stands up for Christ and he boldly preaches about his Savior. I think about how Paul describes their entrance into Thessalonica when he writes an epistle to this church about a year later, around AD 51, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, he writes these words. He says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you. Uh, when we came unto you on the second missionary journey, it was not in vain. But even after that, we suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And we find here Paul says we were bold in our God. Uh, we were confident in our spirit. We were courageous once again to stand up and to preach the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to realize here as we look at that verse, it's very clear he says that we were bold in our God. You see, Paul's boldness and his confidence didn't come from himself, but it came from his God. And I want us to realize here this morning that our courage and our boldness doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from a strong personality. It doesn't come from being an extrovert. It doesn't come from being an introvert. It doesn't come from maybe your intelligence. It doesn't come from our talents and our abilities. It doesn't come from our popularity or our physical abilities. But here this morning, realize that boldness and courage and power comes from none other than the Holy Spirit of God within our lives. It is His Spirit that gives us courage. It is God's spirit that gives us boldness. It is God's spirit that gives us power within our lives. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And you see here this morning, if we're going to make a difference in this world... If we're going to go to a city, if we're going to go to a place and turn it upside down for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, could I say today, we don't need new methods. I'm not against new methodology, but that's not where the power is going to come from. We don't need new marketing techniques. We don't need a new Bible. What we desperately need is the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit of God upon our lives to boldly preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah was saying within that verse, If we're going to accomplish a great work for God, it's not going to come from human might. It's not going to come from our human power, our human resources. That word might there that we find in verse number 6 speaks about a force, or it speaks about resources. It denotes a force or a resource of men, such as an army or a company of people. And then the word power there speaks about to be firm or to have vigor. And it denotes a personal power, an individual determination. 
And what Zechariah is saying there is that if we're going to be victorious, uh, if we're going to see some success in the work of God, it's not going to come from outside resources. It's not going to come from our resolve and our resoluteness within ourselves, but it can only come by the Spirit of God, saith the Lord of hosts. And we have many churches and Christians here this morning that are operating in the power of the flesh and not in the power of God. Vance Havner said, we say we depend on the Holy Spirit, but actually we are so wired up with our own devices that if the fire does not fall from heaven, we can turn on a switch and produce false fire of our own. If there's no sound of a rushing wind, we have the furnace all set to blow hot air instead. God save us from a synthetic Pentecost. And you see here this morning as we look throughout the early church, uh, those who made a great difference for God, uh, those who took a stand and courageously spoke up for the Lord Jesus Christ oftentimes were unlearned and oftentimes they were simple men. Nevertheless, they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I think about Peter who was simply a fisherman. He stands and he boldly preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. And the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter number 2 that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, I think about Stephen, the first martyr of Christianity. He was courageous to stand firm in his faith despite the stones that were being hurled at his body. And the Bible says in Acts 7, 54 and 55, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I think about the first century church and the persecution that they faced from the Roman Empire for being people of the way, for being people that would preach that salvation is in Jesus and in Jesus alone as they faced the persecution and the affliction. The Bible teaches us they had great boldness. But once again, that boldness did not come within themselves, but that boldness came from them abiding in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts 4.31, the Bible says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And you see here this morning what we desperately need are some young people and older people and people all across the board that would know nothing but the power of the Holy Spirit of God and they would stand up firm and preach the death, burial, and resurrection and see a world turned upside down for Jesus Christ to boldly take a stand for our Savior. I find here, first of all, Paul was courageous. He was bold. His boldness came from his walk with Christ. His boldness came from being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But then I want you to notice with me, secondly, not only the courageous spirit of Paul, but then I also find here that Paul was consistent. He was consistent. Although Paul faced a lot of opposition, he did not compromise. Uh, he did not change, and he did remain consistent in the ministry for Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice, first of all, in verse number two, I find here that he was consistent in his manner. He was consistent in his manner. It says, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. That phrase there, as his manner was, speaks about his custom. Uh, it speaks about the habit of the apostle Paul. Usually when we think about habits, we usually have a negative connotation. We think about bad habits. 
maybe you have a bad habit that you're trying to overcome here this morning. Maybe you have a habit of biting your nails. Uh, maybe you have the habit of procrastination. I'm sure that habit does not exist here at West Coast Baptist College that you procrastinate. But nevertheless, you might be the rarity and you have the habit of procrastination. These are some bad habits that we might have within our lives. But then also we think about some good habits, and good habits are those that we build into our lives through discipline and practice, and we might have the good habit of waking up early. Uh, we might have the good habit of eating breakfast. We might have the good habit of exercising regularly within our lives. And as we think about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul here, the Bible teaches us, had a manner. He was consistent. He had a good habit that we find within his life. And we find throughout the scriptures that wherever Paul went, uh, whatever city he entered into, his habit was to go into the synagogues. His habit was go to the marketplaces. His habit was to go to the central location of where the people was. And his habit was to publicly preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his custom and his manner. I think about when Paul enters into the city of Athens. And the Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 17, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. We find the apostle Paul, he's a little bit antsy. There's, there's a habit, there's a manner that he has that wherever he goes, if he sees some lost people, if there's those that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, his manner and his habit was to get right into the middle of that and to exalt Christ and to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his habit. It says there, he saw the city wholly given to idolatry and therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Warren Wiersbe said, Paul arrived in the great city of Athens, not as a sightseer, but a soul winner. I wonder here this morning, what's your habit? I ask you here this morning, not whether or not you go soul winning, because I think all of you do because you have a focus report. All of you do. There's a requirement. you got to sign off on that, that you went soul winning. My, my question this morning is not, do you go soul winning? My question is, are you a soul winner? Do you have the habit and the manner? When you enter into a public arena, do you have tracks on you and your manner and your habit is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it your habit to go out and knock on doors and to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it your habit that wherever you go and you might encounter somebody who is lost, you at least try to plant that seed? Is it a habit? Is it a custom? Is it a manner within your life? I've had the honor and privilege to take uh, Dr. R.B. Ouellette for a meal. And uh, many of you have heard his testimony from our pastor and many others and and I remember we walked into the claim jumper to have a meal before he was preaching for one uh, of the engagements that we had. And from the opening of the door to the time we sat down was probably about 25 minutes. It wasn't because they had no seats. It wasn't because they were busy. They weren't busy at all. But every single person he saw, he stopped. And he asked this question, has anybody told you today that God loves you? Has anybody told you today that God loves you? And then he pulled out a tract and he talked to them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he would go to the hostess. Has anyone told you today that God loves you? And then we'd sit down. He'd talk to the waitress. Has anyone told you today that God loves you? It probably took us an hour to order our food. Every single person. That was his manner and his custom and his habit. I wonder here this morning, what is your manner? What is your habit? 
Do you have a custom when it comes to being a soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul's habit was to preach the gospel and to be a soul winner every place that he went. It didn't matter if it was a city of 50,000 or 200,000. His habit was to go and preach the gospel. It didn't matter if it was a rural city or a bustling metropolis. His habit was to go and preach the gospel. It didn't matter if it was in the synagogue or the marketplace or at the riverside in Philippi. His habit was to go and to preach the gospel. That was the manner and the consistent habit of the Apostle Paul. And sometimes as he preached the gospel, multitudes repented and trusted Christ, as we see in the city of Berea. Sometimes it was just a small pocket of people, as we see in the city of Athens. Sometimes he faced harsh persecution and opposition for preaching the gospel. But no matter what the results were, he did not change his manner. He remained consistent in his habit of publicly witnessing and winning souls for the Lord. And I realize this morning that there are many methods in winning souls and reaching people for Christ with the gospel, and God has given us some wonderful tools within our generation and the technology that we have, but I want to encourage you with this simple thought here this morning to never abandon the baseline of soul winning, and that is simply to go into the community, whether that's house to house or park to park or business to business or cubicle to cubicle at your workplace, and it's to stand before somebody face to face and to share with them the good news concerning the fact that God loves them and that Jesus died for their sins. In Acts 8, 4, the Bible says, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere Preaching the word. I remember when I was traveling on deputation, and this was back in 2013. The Lord allowed us to plant a church in 2014 over in the city of Eastvale. And uh, in the year of 2013, we were traveling on deputation, and uh, we had some great meetings. Deputation was awesome, and every single place that we went was a huge encouragement. But there were some. There were some meetings that I had, and there were some pastors that I sat down with afterwards, and and I would make it my habit that after we had that service, I'd have a list of questions. I wanted to ask them about their outreach. I wanted to ask them about their preaching schedule. I wanted to ask them about their budget and how they kind of uh, run their church. And, and, uh, and I remember there were a few when I asked the question, what do you do for soul winning? How, how do you get out there? How do you reach people for Christ? And, and uh, I remember a few, not many, but a few of them were very discouraging. And they would respond to me and they'd say, oh, you know what, Paul? I mean, we've been here for a while and, uh, you know, this is California and and uh, he said, well, to be honest with you, we really just don't do that soul winning anymore. Uh, we don't really go out and we're just not, you know, knocking on doors like we used to. And, and uh, it's kind of a waste of time. And uh, you're probably better off just doing some Facebook ads and, and figuring out some social media ads. And, and that's probably going to be more effective for you. We really just don't go out there and knock on doors like we used to. And don't get me wrong here this morning, I'm not against other innovative ideas. I think we ought to employ them as long as they don't break a commandment in the scriptures. I think we ought to use every tool uh, that God has given us to try to get the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ out. But in our context here this morning, and I'm not saying the context of living in a foreign country, but the context of where we are this morning, when it comes to the United States of America, in our context today, I still cannot think of a better way of systematically trying to reach every single person in your city if we're not just going door to door and knocking and trying to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about when we planted our church I knocked on the door of a lady by the name of Kim. And uh, as soon as she saw me, she responded with words 
And she basically said, I'm not really interested, I'm a Jehovah Witness. And uh, I remember she said those words, and we just, I tried to carry on the conversation and try to be polite. And within that first uh, interaction we had, we didn't go very far, and, and uh, we ended after a few minutes, but the Lord just burdened me about that individual. And so the next week we went by, and I took my wife, and, and, uh, and we tried to build some small talk and build some commonality. And, and uh, over the course of about the next six months or so, we ended up visiting Kim a few dozen times. And uh, over a period of time, she finally kind of opened up. We never actually talked about the gospel. She never wanted to talk about that. But we talked about children. We talked about other things in life. And sooner or later, we started building a relationship with this lady. And, and after dozens of visits and hours of building a relationship with Kim, she finally allowed us to sit down at her dining table. And she allowed me to open the Bible and begin to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember that afternoon, it was nothing really that I said. Uh, it was nothing that, that I had an impressive debate concerning or an argument against Jehovah Witnesses. But I simply opened the Bible and I started reading from John chapter number one, the chapter that is filled concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember Kim uh, looking over at me, looking at my wife and listening intently. And I just started reading every single verse one by one. And then I got down to about verse number 14 where the Bible reads, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I remember as I finished reading those words, Kim looked up and she had tears coming down her cheeks. And I'll never forget what she said next. She said, Paul, I get it now. She said, Paul, I get it now. Jesus truly is the Son of God. And at that moment, Kim bowed her head and she trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She immediately walked away from the Jehovah Witnesses. A few days after that, I had the privilege to baptize her and she joined the church and she served faithfully uh, within that ministry there in the city of Eastvale. And I simply tell that story to say this. I probably would have never met Kim if I didn't knock on her door. I would have probably never crossed paths with her and started up a conversation at the market or maybe at the park. If I never went and knocked on that door, I would have probably never had the opportunity to share the gospel with this lady by the name of Kim. And I'm simply saying here this morning, I realize there's a lot of good methods out there when it comes to reaching a community and getting the word out and doing direct mailers and working on social media, and getting a website and doing events, and that's all great and that's wonderful, but let's not do that at the substitution of going out one by one and seeing people in the eyes and sharing with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's people in your community that you will never meet if you do not systematically go and knock on their doors. We find here the manner of the Apostle Paul everywhere he went. Show me where the synagogue is. Show me where the agora, the marketplace is. Show me where the public square is. And his manner was to go and to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to notice not only was he consistent in his manner, but he was consistent in his message. The Bible says in verse number two, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Uh, the word reason there means to dispute, to preach, to discuss. The word opening there means to expound and to explain. The word alleging there means to set forth, to make plain, to manifest. 
And we find here that Paul, from every single angle he had, tried to clearly present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, although this was the message that continually brought about persecution. This was the message that continually brought about the violence and the opposition within his ministry. Nevertheless, Paul never wavered, and he never compromised when it came to the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me encourage you here this morning, as you go out there and you share the gospel throughout our community, as you go out there and pastor a church, as you go out there and serve in some other ministry throughout this country or throughout the world, never compromise and water down the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's a perfect message that has the power to save those that are lost. It has the power of salvation. It has the power to change the drunkard into a child of God. It has the power to change the sinner into a saint. It has the power to change an atheist into a friend of God. It has the power to change a dark, sin-filled world with families that love the Lord and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the very power of God. In Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. One preacher said, the gospel tells rebellious men that God is reconciled, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, the condemnation of the sinner canceled, the curse of the law blotted out, the gates of hell closed, the portals of heaven opened wide, the power of sin subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, the sorrow and misery of the fall undone. And that's what our world desperately needs here this morning. They do not need some self-help message that has some humanistic philosophies, but what they desperately need is a man of God to get into a city without all of, the, all of the glitz and the glamour and all of that comes when it comes to your outreach, but they simply need a man who would stand up and preach without compromise the death, burial, and resurrection and that there's salvation in none other than in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to encourage you here this morning that if you'd be faithful and you'd be consistent in your manner, you'd be consistent in your message, God will bless the message and the ministry and God will bless the work that you do for his glory. And so we find here that Paul was courageous. Paul was consistent. And then lastly, as we close here this morning, I want you to notice with me that Paul continued. Paul continued. In verse 5 through 9, we find the conflict that Paul faces. And here's the reality. Whenever you step out in courage, and whenever you are consistent and not willing to change your positions and not willing to compromise on the fundamentals of the faith, there's always going to be conflict. Uh, there's always going to be opposition that comes your way. And we find that once again here in the city of Thessalonica in verse number five. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy took upon them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and, and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. 
And I want you to notice what the Bible teaches us in the very next verse there. We find with the opposition that they face continuously throughout the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He faces opposition in the city of Philippi and he goes to Thessalonica and does the same thing and preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we find him here in Thessalonica and in verse number 10 the Bible teaches after he faces the opposition and the persecution and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews and began preaching once again the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this pattern over and over in the life of the Apostle Paul. He enters a city, he courageously preaches the gospel, he faces persecution, and then he just simply continues. He doesn't have a pity party. He doesn't compromise his doctrine. He doesn't try to find some other new strategy. But he simply continues in the work of God from one city after another in preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to change a world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be courageous. We must be consistent. But then we must continue. We must continue and remain faithful in what God has called us to do. I think about many missionaries that were faithful in their place, and they turned their world upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about William Carey, who was a missionary to India, labored for seven years in preaching before finally seeing the first Hindu convert come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was faithful. He continued and by the grace of God, he turned his world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about Adoniram Judson. He labored for seven years in Burma before he saw his first convert. He remained faithful and continued. And by the grace of God, he changed his world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I finish with this final story here this morning. I remember several years ago, I was out soul winning in the city of Gardena. This is when I was working for my dad. He's a pastor in Gardena. And uh, I was out door knocking that morning. My partner was my brother-in-law, who's Jimmy Pack. And uh, we were out. We took opposite sides of the street. And uh, I was knocking on the doors on one side. He was knocking on the doors uh, of the other side. And about halfway through, he ran across that street, and he was super excited. And uh, I could tell he just had a story he wanted to tell me about what had taken place. And, and uh, I just assumed that he got to lead someone to the Lord, and that's, that's the excitement uh, that was building within his heart. But he had a different story and uh, he started telling me about this gentleman that he met at a door that he was knocking. He said, I was knocking on this door, and here came out a man, and, and we started talking about the gospel, and I asked him, hey, if you die today, are you sure you'll go to heaven? And, and uh, he had a testimony. He, he made a clear profession of faith that he had trusted Christ as his personal Savior. And then out of curiosity, he simply asked him, where are you from? He knew that he was from a different ethnicity, and so he asked him the question, where are you from? And that man in the city of Gardena responded to him and said, I am originally from the country of Burma, which is known as Myanmar. And so Jimmy got really interested about that, and he asked him, how did you come to know the Lord? And long story short, he went back generation after generation, and at the very beginning of it all, he said it was a man by the name of Adoniram Judson who came to preach the gospel in our country. And as I heard that story, I thought to myself, I thank God he didn't quit at year four. I thank God he didn't quit at year five. I thank God he didn't quit at year six. But he continued. And he remained faithful. And because of that faithfulness, God used him 
to turn his world upside down for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you here this morning that you would go to where God has called you to go with the passion and a fire and with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the grace of God, God would use you to turn your world upside down for Jesus Christ.